when I was a kid, we didn't have television, so we had to find other ways to entertain ourselves. And so over Christmas, my parents would often um, pack us up in the car, and we'd drive around Lancaster County looking at all the lights that people had in their, uh, in their yards and so forth. We loved uh, our church. Uh, we'd go uh, out in a bus or sometimes a hay wagon and do Christmas caroling. I love the music of Christmas. A lot of really neat things about Christmas, aren't there? But in just a few weeks, all the lights will be put away. We'll stop singing the Christmas carols. The presents will all be um, put away or broken by then or play, played with and tired of. And all of these things will go away. The tree will go away. But the gift of Christmas, Christmas itself, never goes away. What endures is not just the trappings of Christmas, but the, the true meaning of Christmas. You know, last week we talked about I'm going to switch here to Mike, Mike's Chuck. Last week we talked about, the, uh, about Jesus being our prosecutor. We talked about a time when Jesus will come again in the future, come back to this earth to uh, exercise justice on this earth, and he will be the prosecutor of those who have rejected God. Today we want to talk about him being the defender. So if you can imagine putting yourself in a courtroom situation, you have the prosecution over here. You have the defense over here. Up there's the judge. And Jesus is the prosecutor over here for those who have rejected God, but he's the defender for those who have um, turned to God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we want to talk about this morning. And I want to read um, beginning of Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, the account of Jesus' birth and the conversation the angels had with Joseph. <clears throat> This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. Now, the Messiah, um, we often see the uh, phrase or the name Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And sometimes we think it's kind of like Keith Rohr. And it's like Jesus' last name was Christ, like my last name is Rohr. But Christ was simply the Greek uh, form of the term Messiah. Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But... Before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man, didn't want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now, just a, a quick thing here. Their engagement those days, not quite like our engagements. My wife and I were dating, and we were engaged to be married, and I broke up with her three months before we got married. I didn't really score many points that day with either her or her family or mine. But we did not put that in the newspaper. I told her, keep your engagement ring, honey. I'm going to be back. We're going to eventually get married. I was really young. I just needed to get my head on straight. We didn't put anything in the paper about that. We just told our friends and told our families, and that was kind of the end of it. But a betrothal like Mary and Joseph had was the same as marriage in that it was considered a binding union forever. They weren't sleeping together yet. They weren't living together yet. But it was as good as a done deal. And if they broke that engagement, it would be like we would break a marriage today. It would require a certificate of divorce. That's the relationship that they had at this point. Verse 20, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Father, thank you in the fullness of time that you sent the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was and who is and is to come, the Almighty, the one who was back with you in the beginning, the one that John 1 says created everything that we see on this planet. Nothing was created that he didn't create. The New Testament even talks about Jesus being with the children of Israel in the wilderness, about him guiding them. We know that Jesus didn't just begin in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Well, Jesus did, but the Son of God has always existed. This morning, I pray that you give us the minds to understand, the spirits to appreciate, and the hearts to hope in the only thing that this world offers as true hope. Emmanuel, God with us. We pray against the enemy who hates him, who hates the good news. And we pray that we might find our great satisfaction in Jesus this morning. Amen. I want to make a few remarks from this text about, one, the impossible mission that the defender had when he came. And then, secondly, about the impossible birth that he was born through. It says here in verse, um, verse 21 that Jesus will save his people from their sins. That was the mission that Jesus was sent on, to rescue sinners. I was getting new tires put in my car fr- Friday morning, and I, uh, there was a television on um, to a news station. And I was only half listening. I was doing some reading, but I, I heard that there was a, this television station or the, I don't know if it was Good Morning America or something, but they were distributing uh, toys to children who had been chosen, I forget on what basis, but had some sort of needs. And, and they interviewed this one mother whose children had been given gifts. And they were asking her what she thought and what her perception was and so forth. And she said, my daughter today learned good things happen to good people. My daughter learned that good things happen to good people. And of course, the, when you learn that, the converse, you also learn that bad things happen to bad people. And the problem is all of this is... Uh, conjured up by our own minds in comparing one human being to another human being, and we say, this person's a little bit better than that person morally, and this person's not quite as good as that person morally. And then, let's be honest, most of us establish those good, bad, indifferent ideas based on our own idea of goodness, and we always surpass that line of goodness, don't we? But uh, when other people don't surpass that line of goodness and we think they're bad, we're good. On and on it goes. Good, good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. And the message of the good news is, no. Good news can happen to all people. And that the good people need the good news as much as the bad people need the good news. 
The very name Jesus is a Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. If you have the name Joshua, your name means God saves or God is salvation. Interesting that he would be named, the Son of God would be named Jesus, God saves. God is salvation. I've come to save the world. You and I, in and of ourselves, because we are broken sinners, we start out that way. We don't come good and then suddenly get bad. We start out bad. David says in his prayer in Psalm 51, I was sinful from the time my mother conceived me. That's just who I am. That's my nature. And yet we see this this person who's going into the courtroom to, to face his prosecutor is not going in alone. This this uh, um, prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 that, that's repeated here in verse 23. The virgin will conceive a child, give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Jesus was called not only named Jesus, but Emmanuel because he came here on this mission from God, and the name means God with us. And so suddenly the person going into the courtrooms and going in not alone, but with a defender who's going to stand up and, and say to the judge, no, no, I have this one taken care of. Well, this one has done this and this and failed to do this and this. Yeah, but I've taken care of that. I, I'm the defender. I've taken care of that by virtue of not sim, sim, simply being born, but him born, lived, died, raised from the dead. And the good news this morning is that Emmanuel can be your defender as well. Now, this business of how Jesus was born really sticks in some people's craw. It's like, man, are you serious? You're going to try to tell me that, that a, a, a virgin who's never been intimate with a man can somehow give birth to a child? We have a number of families in this congregation who've, uh, who've been infertile, unable to conceive a child. And some of you know that heartache, and you can commiserate with others who feel that heartache. And it's like, it hurts so bad. The good thing about that, in some cases, some of the, our families have taken uh, and adopted children and taken foster, care, uh, foster children into their homes as a way to have, a, uh, have those children that they weren't able to conceive. And what a gift to those children to have, have a home, a loving family, a mom and dad that care about them. What's interesting, and we have a number of families like this in this congregation, is some of those families have um, adopted children only later to have their own biological children. Isn't that intriguing? Now, that is really improbable. We had a group of friends that we all got married about the same time and um, all started to have children about the same time except one couple. And three years after they're married, no children. Five years after they're married, no children. Ten years after they're married, no children. They decided to start a business since they didn't have a family to focus on. They started, decided to start a business, and they were in business together. And, and 12 years, you know, and our kids are all growing up. They're becoming teenagers. And all of a sudden, this couple's married 15 years, and they have a child. And then they have a second child. And then they have a third child. Go figure how improbable is that? But not impossible. But what took place with Mary? Impossible. Never in the history of the planet, before or since, 
Has a woman given birth to a child without the contribution of a male? Now, a lot of things are happening in the laboratories these days, but they have to use a male somehow. But not Mary. It's so impossible that this is the reason that Muslims believe that we teach that Mary actually had sexual relations with God and Jesus was the result. It doesn't say that. When the angel's talking to, J- uh, to Joseph, it says that through the power of the Holy Spirit, Mary's going to have a child. The Spirit of God will overcome you, Mary, and you will become pregnant without the contribution of um, impossible. And yet when the angel was talking with Mary in Luke chapter, chapter 1 about what was going to take place, in verse 37, he said to her, with God, all things are possible, or nothing is impossible with God. Now, why in the world would God do it this way? Why wouldn't he just have Joseph and Mary have a baby? It's Jesus, on and on and on. Why not? Why risk all that he risked in having it done this way? I mean, certainly the word on the street was that Mary was fooling around before she got married. Or maybe that Joseph and Mary were fooling around. Or maybe Mary was fooling around with somebody that wasn't Joseph before they got married. Why, why risk Jesus' reputation? And there seems to be some hints in the gospel that even as an adult, people were suspicious that Jesus was the, an illegitimate child, a bastard. And Jesus is having a conversation with his critics in John chapter 8. They say, well, we're not illegitimate children. And you can almost hear the echo of an accusation in what they said to him and about him. Why would God risk all of that to give birth to a child and claim it was a virgin birth? Let me have you turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. This is a conversation that the angel's having with Mary, telling her that she's going to give birth to this child. Verse 35, the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So, depending on your translation, it has therefore, that makes a better link, I think, than the word so. Therefore, the baby to be born will be holy. You're going to have this child as a virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, as a result of this unique birth, this unique conception, the baby to be born will be holy. Every other child that's been born since Adam and Eve has been unholy. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says that Adam sinned, the first man that God made out of the ground. He made Adam and then he made his wife out of a rib from Adam and And then those two sinned. Interestingly enough, Eve sinned first. But Adam is the one who is held responsible for that. And just as sin entered the world through that one man, Adam, 
And death came as a result of sin, and so death came to all people because all people sinned. We're sinners both by practice and by nature. And as such are under the judgment of God, naturally. And had Jesus not been conceived in this miraculous way, the angel seems to be saying he could not have been holy himself. In other words, he would have sin sin nature in him as well. And so on the day that Jesus, he grows up, becomes a man, he teaches for three years, and he goes to the cross outside of Jerusalem and dies. Had he been a sinner and not holy, he would have had to die for his own sins. Sin is, death is the consequence of sin. And yet amazingly enough, Jesus, when he, even when he hit the terrible twos, never sinned. Even when he was seven, eight, nine years old, never sinned. Even when he hit junior high, never sinned. Teenage years, all the peer pressure around him, never once sinned. Never sassed his mom and dad. Never took anything that didn't belong to him. Never told even a little white lie. Becomes a minister and all of the things that people threw at him, the threats they made against him, never once did he break his covenant with his father and violate by sinning. For 33 and a half years, imagine pulling that off. And so when he went to the cross and spilled his blood all over that tree, coming out of his head and his back and his hands and his feet. That blood could be shed for real sinners like you and I. And save us. Because he didn't have to die for his own sins. He could die for yours and yours and yours and yours and yours and yours and and mine. And if you know Christ, that's really good news. Let me make a challenge to you today. We got just a little over a week till the end of the, what we call the holidays, the Christmas and New Year's. Would you ask God to give you one chance in the next nine days to start a conversation with just one person? about the good news. It might be as simple as saying the old Bill Fay question to somebody, do you have any spiritual beliefs? By the way, we should get better in our evangelism at asking questions than we do in making statements. Just open the doors. Ask questions. Do you have any spiritual beliefs? Just go that far. Say, God, if you give me the opportunity, I'm going to nudge the door open just a little bit wider with one person in the next nine days. Christmas is not just something to celebrate. It's something to disseminate. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this is also good news for you. There's an invitation in this for you. Jesus wants to become your defender instead of your prosecutor. There's an interesting uh, story that comes to us out of Central America. Last year, 
it has to do with Christmas. Last year, uh, about a year and a half ago, the government of Colombia sat down with the rebel leaders of FARC and made peace out of the longest running war in the Western Hemisphere. For 52 years, a rebel movement has been trying to overthrow, a Marxist rebel movement trying to overthrow the government of Colombia. It's cost the lives of a quarter of a million people. Millions of people have been displaced from their homes because it's unsafe to live in the villages where the rebels were kidnapping people and um, bringing them into their military units. It's over. And how they came to peace wasn't by getting a hold of this master negotiator. They hired an ad executive who came up with different campaigns to try to get the rebels to lay down their arms. The first one was Christmas of 2010. Jose Miguel Sokolov was his name, and he and a couple of other people, along with members of the Colombian military, flew in a helicopter out to rebel-controlled areas, got as close as they could, found some very tall trees, strung Christmas lights in the trees that were connected to motion sensors, that when rebels would walk by these trees, the lights would come on, and big banners would light up that said this. If Christmas can come to the jungle, you can come home. Demobilize. At Christmas, everything is possible. I read that and I thought, you got to be kidding me. That is so hokey. There's nobody that's going to respond to that. 331 rebels laid down their arms and walked home that Christmas. In 2013, they had another campaign over Christmas. Sokolov found 27 mothers whose children were in the guerrilla camps. And he got photographs of these children when they were children. And he put them on flyers and he hung flyers all over the jungle with pictures of these little kids. With messages on them from their mothers. They said, before you were a guerrilla, you were my child. So come home, because I'll always be waiting for you at Christmas time. Hokey again. 218 gorillas laid down their arms and went home to their mothers. <laughs> In fact, when the gorillas finally got to the negotiating table a couple of years later, they pleaded with the government to stop these campaigns. Because till it was all said and done, 18,000 gorillas walked out of the forest, laid down their weapons... And we're reintegrated into society. And that was a sizable percentage of the rebels. Listen, if you don't know Christ, God has hung your picture all over the jungle of your community. And he's inviting you to come home. You know what's interesting? Those rebels, when they left the jungle, not a one of them was arrested and put in prison. Not a one. The government decided that they would basically eat, absorb the punishment that was rightfully due these rebels. And God is prepared to do the same with you. He's inviting you to lay down your weapon, sin, come home. 
And just as the government did not punish these rebels, God won't either. He already put the punishment that was due you and that was due me on his son so that he could be your defender instead of your prosecutor. I can't think of a better time than Christmas for you to come home. For a father who's extended his arms wide open in the person of his son, saying, come home. Let's be reconciled. Let's be dad and son, dad and daughter, the way I always intended. Let's pray together. Father, if there are someone here this morning who's estranged from you, they may be a really, really, really bad person, or they may be one of the best people that their neighbors know. And maybe they don't understand that you measure differently than we measure. We measure people compared to ourselves. Are you better or worse than me? God measures everybody by himself. Are you worse than me? Absolutely. That means you're broken and you are under judgment. And to see that despite that, that this one who is ultimately going to be the judge has prepared himself also to be their defender. Maybe today they're going to say, I'm going to lay down my weapons. I'm going to turn in faith to Jesus. This is going to be my best Christmas ever. Would you move in the hearts of those who need Christ this morning, this afternoon, this evening, this week, that they would say yes, 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 and have the defender in their corner. Thanks for Jesus, for the good news we have at Christmas. We love you. Amen.